Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. exciting opportunity this morning to hear from our sister Gloria Jones. And uh, before we do that, we're going to take a bit of a break. If you need to go quickly use the bathroom or if you would like to get yourself a warm drink, you can do that. But that needs a good home. I wasn't in their care, so only God knows how they knew about me. So my mother went out to North Buxton, which is 20 minutes from Chatham, which is a city that I was born and raised in. My birth mother had already went to her Toronto with her boyfriend at the time and left me with her mother. And my mother said when they knocked on the door, they heard me scream into the top of my lungs. I was four months old. And they walked in and they stood over in my crib and as I'm reeking with a wet diaper which had been on me for hours probably, screaming, my mother within her spirit bent over the crib and started talking to me. And I stopped crying and started laughing and won her heart. And so you're going to hear a bit about the type of home that I grew up in. So that's why this is a very personal conversation. The promises that God gave Abraham were for Abraham and his descendants. And so because of what God allowed for us to happen through Christ, his invitation, we are now part of Abraham's seed because of Jesus Christ. So when I put this together... Some of this is my words, and some of this is what God kept waking me up to show me, and some of this is from other theologians that I admired, and so you're going to hear a bit of that. But this morning when I went into my email, there was an email in there that caught my eye, and the first line in that email I added this morning to the message, and I'm going to say what it said. It said, Jesus said, Your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, we pray, our Father in heaven. And that stuck with me because I was one of those children that had no father. And I got adopted into a family that gave me a mother and a father and more siblings. Robert Webb, an American theologian and known for his work on worship in the early church, may have put it best. When we approach him in the intensity of worship and gather up all the sweetness involved in fatherhood and all the tenderness wrapped up in worship and sonship, when calamities overcome us and troubles come like in like a flood, we lift up our cry and stretch out our arms to God as a compassionate father. When the angel of death climbs in at the window of our homes and bears away the objects of our love, we find our dearest solace in reflecting upon the fatherly heart of God. When we look across the swelling flood, it is our Father's house on that light-covered hills beyond the stars which cheers us amid the crumbling of the earthly tabernacle, our flesh. And it wasn't just the professional theologians who appreciated this doctrine. The precious reality of adoption sustained Christian slaves in America as they endured the brutality of bondage, 
Everybody knows that story, the slave story, whether it's in North America or England or Europe or coming out of Africa, everyone knows it. And that same philosophy helped others risk their lives in search of freedom. They saw God not merely as their sovereign Lord, but as their tender father. Slaves William and Ellen Craft clung to the doctrine of adoption when they ran away from their masters. They wrote, when the time had arrived for us to start, we blew out the lights, knelt down, and prayed to our Heavenly Father mercifully to assist us, as he did his people of old, to escape the cruel bondage, and we shall ever feel that God heard and answered our prayer. As we studied in the book of Ephesians, that first chapter relates to you and I as seed of Abraham through Christ. You and I, if we have faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have been adopted into the family of God. And there are benefits to that adoption for the believer who does make Christ his Lord and Savior. And I do need to stress, you know, when we come to God and ask him to forgive us our sins and he becomes our Savior, the other part of that is on us to make him our Lord and Savior. And that's that lordship that this is going to talk about today. In Romans 8, it reminds us that we are led by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The moment we repent and offer our lives to him, he fills us with his presence, as we know it as the Holy Spirit, and dwells in us and leads us because we allow him to be Lord and Savior of our life. We do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we receive the spirit of adoption by whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For those of us who didn't have a father, that's profound. To be able to say to God, Abba, Father, my Father. You are so merciful and great. You are my Father. We are adopted by a loving Father. And you know what I learned even before I knew the Lord? One can't be a father without being loving. Even adoptive parents can lack the ability to love and nurture. And not just adoptive parents. I've seen many parents who have no nurturing skills in them. The psalmist wrote, I have been young and now I am old. I can say that. I'm 66. I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That testifies to the fact that God is a loving father. Our father disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son and daughter whom he receives. If you want to know how important that is, imagine an undisciplined child growing into an undisciplined adult. There's lots of us. There's many of us. In 2021, read your newspaper, watch TV, there's many of us, undisciplined adults. God, our Father, promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So how do we Gentiles have this relationship with the God who created everything? The same God who made that promise to Abraham and Abraham's seed. I will give you what you need and never leave you nor forsake you. We are adopted into that family. That's the mystery spoke about in Ephesians 1. In verse 4 to 6, it says, Before the creation of the world, God predestined us 
to have a place at the table as sons and daughters of the Most High. Through Jesus Christ, we became the children of God. Sin and death no longer have power over us because we are marked in Christ with the seal, the mark of the Holy Spirit. That bond within our spirit in the Spirit of God that says, you belong to me. You belong to me. We are no longer ruled by our sin. We are no longer ruled by death. We belong to God because of Jesus Christ. Our inheritance is sealed because we belong to God. Do we really understand how profound that is? We are adopted into the family of God, God of the universe, the God that controls everything. And you know what? He controls everybody if you let him. But that's the God that we are a part of. So let me compare the spiritual adoption to our earthly adoption. It is a little something I know about. First, adoptions are a beautiful concept. They really are. You have a child who doesn't have the parent that it needs, or maybe it's been a child that's been conceived of rape, whatever the reason. Some other couple comes along or a single person comes along and said, you know what, I have a desire in my heart to be a parent. I have a desire in my heart to bring up a child that I know can accomplish the most they can under the right circumstance. So the concept of adoption, it's not unique to the point where it's new. It was in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and it's still today. So the concept of adoption is beautiful. The choice that brings a child into a family forever. The parents who decide to adopt, they're willing to bear the cost and take the risks that come with raising a child and then make the child their heir. Do you know one of the biggest differences between being a foster child and an adopted child is that whatever that adopted child has in that family, that the natural children have in that family, it's their inheritance too. For foster children, that is not so. My husband and I fostered for over seven years. If I die tomorrow as a millionaire, them foster children, unless I put it in my will, get nothing. But if I adopt one child or 10 children, those children get the same as my birth children do under adoption. And that's what God gave us through Abraham and the seed that he gave through Abraham and us through Jesus Christ. Whatever he promised Abraham is ours. And you know the sad truth with adoption? There are no guarantees. There's many unknowns. That birth family, that adoptive family seldom knows them in most cases. They don't know what they're getting. They've got no idea what's in store. The adopted child cannot be returned to the birth family if it doesn't go right. They're placed in CAS. They don't go back to its birth mother or birth father or birth grandparents. They go back to CAS. So there are no guarantees in this. So if they change their mind for whatever reason, they can't take that child back. Ephesians 1 reminds us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Think about that for a minute. Before God created this foundation of the world that we know, before the trees, before the birds, before the oceans, before anything that you come into this world to see, before the stars in heaven, 
God predestined in his will that everybody will have that opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He predestined that. So there is no reason anybody should be saved. God already set in motion the plan, the way to come back to him. That's what God's mercy and love does. The beautiful difference between the earthly adoption and the adoption into the family of God. You know, when I was adopted by my parents, I didn't have a say in it. If you are underage at a certain point, they never come to you and say, how do you feel about being adopted by this family? I was four months. I couldn't speak. I could cry a whole lot, but I couldn't speak. I had no say in who adopted me. But when it comes to being adopted by our Heavenly Father, guess who has that control? We do. We decide, am I going to accept the gift that God allowed me to have through Christ? Am I going to accept the precious gift that Christ died on the cross to take my sin, to take your sin, to give us that opportunity to be reconciled back to the Father and take us back to where we should have been before sin came? We have that control. We can say to the Father, yes or no. And you know, I learned a long time ago, the one thing God is is a gentleman. He never forces himself on us. So if you get that opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus going to the cross for you and I and being resurrected from the dead and sitting on the right hand of the Father, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you still say, I don't think so, God's not going to force himself on you. He is the perfect gentleman. We are the one who takes that responsibility on us to say, Father God, I accept what you offer. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me my sins. Restore me to you. We take that on us. We need to recognize that God already sent his son to do what we could not do for ourselves. And you know what the best part about being adopted by God is? We don't have to be threatened that the Father will turn his back on us because we break his heart. I'm going to tell you a slight secret. I got saved when I was 12. A missionary and her husband and three children came from Detroit, Michigan, the summer of the year I was 12. And she said to us when she knocked on our door that God led me here. He told me to drive and I'll tell you when to stop. And for two years, once a week, every Saturday, this family from Detroit, Michigan, drove to Chatham three hours away to have service with us and lead us to Jesus. But, like all children, I rebelled. I got into my teens, and I left God over a man. You know what the irony is? He never left me. When I realized what I had lost, the security that even though I'd walked away from God, even though I turned my own self back into a situation that Lord knew I told myself I would never do, God never left me. He didn't turn his back on me. So when I say to you that we do not have to be threatened when we make a mistake, when we turn our back on what we know we're not supposed to turn our back on, we don't have to be threatened that God's going to turn his back on us. Because all we need to do is come back to the Father. When I got pregnant from my first child, my heart was my father, and my father's heart was mine, my, my adoptive father. And I didn't want to tell my dad I was pregnant. 
I was so ashamed of what I let myself get into. And I didn't want to hurt my father. I didn't want him to be discouraged about me, to be disappointed about me. He was human, and he wasn't. But of my adoptive father, the man who raised me as his child, as if he were my natural father, did not turn his back on me and loved me no matter what I did. How much more, how much more does our heavenly father love us? Jesus himself said, if the earthly father knows how to give good things to this, his children, how much more does our heavenly father give to us? Even if you know God and you fall, get back up. Because until Christ comes back, you're going to do that. This is a work in progress that we're talking about here. You are going to walk, you're going to fall, and you're going to get back up. And you know what else? The Holy Spirit is going to be there to lift you back up and put you back in your right standing before the Father God above us. Because you are bought with the price and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit in our Heavenly Father. So it's okay to say, God, I have fallen. Forgive me. Because you know what? You're going to do it more than once. But you know what else? He knew you would. I can guarantee you my father never thought I would have a child out of wedlock. Guarantee you. I came to God when I was 12. I did the scriptures and the testimonies in high school for four years of high school. Did my father think I would screw up? No. But did my heavenly father know I would screw up? You bet your sweet buddy did. He knew. He knows I'm going to screw up again, too. He knows you will. Because he knows everything. He knows what you don't want to admit to yourself. He knows what you don't want to admit to your authority, your parents, your teacher, your job, your, your whatever. God knows. Because he's all-knowing. He's not only all-knowing, he's all-seeing. He sees what's inside of us that we don't want to admit to ourselves. You can't hide it from God. He knows your very heart, even when you don't want to be honest with yourself. Because he is God. Because he's the one who created us. Because he's the one by the Holy Spirit in you. When you said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, came into you. That Holy Spirit in us lets God see what's in us before we even want to admit it to ourselves. That's what the Heavenly Father is about. It was never his intent that anybody be lost. Never his intent. That promise was to Abraham, yes. The promise was to Abraham and his seeds, yes. But you know what? The beauty is that in the adoption through God, in God, through Jesus Christ, those promises are ours. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering that you got away with something, no, you didn't. If you're trying to tune out what the Holy Spirit's trying to do within your heart and your mind to convict you, and you think you can tune it out, no, you can't. Because you know the other thing the Father God does? He convicts. He rebukes. He chastises. What good is a parent if he's not going to tell you when you're screwing up? What good is a parent if he's not training you and teaching you how you should behave? No parent wants to be embarrassed by an unruly child. No parent. 
So the Father God says, you know what? You are mine and you are bought with the price. And you know what else? You are precious. You are so precious that he made a point of restoring the relationship through Jesus Christ. So you don't need to be worried he's going to turn his back. He already knows. He knew exactly everything I would do before I did. The beauty about it, I still belong to him. The beauty about it, when you all screw up, you still belong to him. All he's doing is waiting for you to come back. And believe me when I suggest, you likely will. Because he'll keep chastising you until you do. Because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit in you. Family, our salvation's got a high price. It took God coming down in the flesh in the name of Jesus Christ to live a sinless life. To go to the cross on our behalf to be raised from the dead, to sit back into heaven on the right hand of the Father, and to say, I will give you a comforter so you will never be alone again. So he walks with us and he guides us. He corrects us. He rebukes us. He showers favor on us. Have you ever experienced the favor of God? Nobody can tell me that when I'm the fourth child not placed in care, that that was not the favor of God. So he grants us favor, and he loves us enough to chastise us. He loves us enough to correct us, and you need to love yourself to let him. So now we're adopted into the family of God. What does that look like? We're family here. We're not blood, except by the blood of Christ, which is pretty powerful, I might add. We're family. So what does being in the family of God look like? What is the character the lifestyle, the strength of the family of God. Jesus Christ was that example. Remember when he talked and somebody said, isn't those his brothers over there? Aren't those his sisters? Do you know what I love the most? He said, he who does my father's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Do you know what that says to us? The family you're born into is a passing through phase. Because we're all foreigners here. This is not our final destination. Thank God. We're passing through. So the family we're born into is that passing through phase. But in God's priority, the family God is concerned about, the family God builds, the family God expects to act like family are his children. Amen. The ones who say, Lord, I've made you my Lord and Savior of my heart and my life. That is God's priority family. We are family. So what does it look like to be a part of this family, this family that God gave us, all of us, here in person and online, and those you haven't even met yet, because this whole family network is worldwide. Worldwide. People that don't look like you, don't speak like you, don't have your culture like you, God's family is priority family to God. So what does that family look like? Here's a few things we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to express humility, have a humble attitude. Philippians, Paul writes, not to have selfish ambition or vain conceit, but to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. It's not something you feel. You don't work your way into. It's something you do. 
You don't ha you're not supposed to, Lord, let me be more humble than this next person. Because already, if you're thinking that, you're already higher than what you should be. <laughs> it's a mindset that says, we are all equal in God's eyes. All of us. I'm no better than you. I'm no worse than you. You're no better than me. You're no worse than me. Humility is what Christ had when he went up, let himself go to the cross. Humility is what Christ had when he washed the disciples' feet. Have you ever sat down and done a feet washing? You want to feel humble? That'll humble you. And in those days, it would have been more humbling because they wore sandals, so between all their toes and all their feet was filthy. At least we have closed-in shoes. Be humble the way Christ was. His humility led him to Calvary. Romans 12 tells us we are to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Whose mind? Have the mind of Christ. If you don't know what that mind is, study in your word. That's what it's there for. Have conversations with the Father. That's what he's there for. Humble yourselves and say, Father God, I know my will isn't your will. I know my way isn't your way. Have your way, Lord. Conforming our mind to the mind of Christ. And though we are many members, I said we're worldwide. We're many members. We are one body. And we need each other. We are to encourage each other. We are to serve each other. We flow as one body. We all have different gifts, but those gifts were given by God through the Holy Spirit to build the church. And who is the church? Mosaic is a part of the church. The church is worldwide. So we are many members, but we are one body. And that body is the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ, that one body, is who he's coming back for. He's not coming back for individuals. That's where your death's going to take you. But when Christ comes back, he's coming back for his church. Holy, humble, Christ-like, living sacrifice, conformed by the mind of Christ. We are to be unified. When one is hurting, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. That's what's beautiful about our praise, the prayer group on chat, on WhatsApp. Because if you have a concern, if you need prayer, that's a place to put it. We are to lift each other up in, in encouragement and in prayer and in life. Be an example one to another. The strong lift up the weaker because sooner or later we all fall. Even the strong ones. Let me tell you, there's many times I've said, Father, help me because I'm just so certain what you want me to do here and I've screwed up. And I've known the Lord since I was 12. We are family and we are connected. We are to speak the truth in love one to another. And when we say in love, that's about where the place is within our heart and our attitude to where that truth is spoken. Because you know the other thing I learned a long time ago? Even though we come at it with love and humility, if it is in a result of telling somebody that they are in the wrong, where you place that from within yourself is what you are accountable for. 
When we are encouraging, you are accountable for how it comes through within your own heart. How they receive it is between them and God, just as how we present it is between us and God. So we are to speak to one another in love, an attitude of humility and compassion that is expressed by the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, do not pass judgment. In fact, don't be a stumbling block or a cause to fail in our brother's way. The scriptures and God himself told us through Christ to forgive one another. We say it in our prayer every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Forgive one another. That's not a suggestion, by the way. That's a command. Do you know what was a profound fact to me? You know of people who do not profess to be Christian and will tell you, if you harbor resentment and you harbor unforgiveness, the only person you hurt is yourself. Unforgiveness causes a cancer. The person will die and make their, see their maker, and they won't give two thoughts about whether or not you forgave them or not. And that's the fact. You don't forgive for their sake, you forgive for yours. Because you'll get bitter if you don't. So do not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Just as Christ forgave us, we are commanded to forgive. We are to make allowances for each other's faults and forgive. And you know what the sad truth is that we don't want to admit? It is a choice. It is a choice for us to forgive each other. Colossians 1 and 10 tells us to be united in mind and thought. Let there be no division among you. We are to stand firm in one spirit. Do you know why it's one spirit? Because it's the Holy Spirit, and that is one spirit that's in all of us as we know except Christ. Be firm in one spirit and one mind. You know what that mind is? The mind of Christ. We are to have developed within our walk, our talk, our speech, everything we do, the mind of Christ. We are to strive together for the faith of the gospel. One of my favorite scriptures, and I've said it so many times, come let us reason together. Because we all have our own thoughts. We can, you can read a scripture and 10 people can read it and everybody gets something different. So don't let division come among us. Don't let division divide us. The scripture tells us, come, let us reason together. Let's sit down with a peaceful conversation and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come into it. As we're taught in Ephesians, we're to be humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Have you ever wondered what does exactly bearing one another in love mean? You know, sometimes we used to think, Bearing means I'm going to forgive them. It does. But it's more than that. When we are lifting one another and we're bearing one another in love, here's what we're actually doing. We're lifting each other up in prayer because our eyes are open to the needs of what they are. We're holding one another up in prayer when we know the enemy is attacking. We're holding each other up in prayer when one of us is weaker or going through something because we're family, we feel it, and we sense it. We hold each other up with encouragement. Maybe you don't have what you need to have in order to do something, but you can be encouraging to them. 
We, are, we lift one another up by having a listening ear. Sometimes all somebody needs is for somebody to hear what it is they're going through. That's all. A listening ear. The other thing about bearing one another's burdens is we are to look for opportunities to serve one another. That's what family does. You know, I've talked a lot about my birth family. I've talked some more about my adopted family, but I haven't shared some of our history. As I mentioned, I was adopted at four months old, and my mother, who could not have children, had the reputation of helping people with their children. And I must have been eight years old at the time, and a woman named Mrs. Ball, don't know who she was, don't know how she found my mother, I have no idea, come and knock on our door and ask my mother if she would take this Jamaican baby whose mother had her out of wedlock, who was living in Jamaica at the time. Don't know anything about this woman, except she was young and a student. She wanted to go to university after the birth of her daughter. And this woman asked my mother if she would take this two-week-old baby so her mother could go to school from Jamaica. My parents without thought, because they'd done it all their life, taking children, all their life, said, sure, we'll take this baby. Don't know how long was a school program, another country, don't know if she's going to stick to it or quit, doesn't matter. We lived in a two-bedroom house. I'm the only child at the time. I had my room, my parents had theirs. This woman brought this two-week-old baby and that child lived with my mother and father for two years. I could still remember this child waking me up in the morning because she'd learned how to walk and talk and did all those things while living with us. It would come when she got up to wake me up in my bedroom. Two years. I'd never heard from those people again from the day she left till now. But that was my mother's reputation. Our neighbor... And that's just one of those children that lived with us. There were many. Our neighbor had seven kids in a marital breakdown. And the mother had an affair, and the father went to prison over the affair. He shot somebody. And the mother sat, we're neighbors. I'm 11. The mother sat all these children down and said, I need my freedom. And her family was going to take this one and this one and this one. And my mother come and she called me aside and her and my dad said to me, it's not good when black children get separated. They get placed all over the place and there's no control and they grow up not knowing where their siblings are. What would you think if we take them? And I'm so used to my parents taking somebody else's kids, it didn't dawn on me, where are they sleeping? <laughs> we're, we're in a two-bedroom house. My mother never worked outside the home. My father was one of those older generation that said that the man's job to support his family and the woman looks after the house and the children. So they asked me, what do you think about this? I'm so used to it, I said, sure. That summer, a neighbor's sister sold my father the house that was big enough to house all of us. And my parents raised these children, the youngest one, was a year old, and the oldest one was two years younger than me, and I'm 11. So now we've gone from one child household to five. And in the interim of all of the struggles within this family, this mother had a child out of her marriage that the father had tried to kill. 
And the mother asked my mother if she would take this child and adopt her to save her life. So my mother did. That became the second child my mother and father adopted. So now they've got her and I and these five. And the mother continued having children. And the last child she had was extremely sick. Everybody said this baby would have hearing problems and possibly blind and wouldn't live to see five years old. And the doctor did not want to send him home to his mother. So they called my mother, who already had the reputation of helping everybody else's children, and said, will you take this baby till we find a suitable home? My mother took that baby as an infant. That's the third one they adopted. So we've gone from a one-child house to a child with eight children. And you know what it taught me? It taught me that no matter how messed up this world is, it doesn't matter. We can have the compassion of God within us to see the need of somebody else. To see the need. All of this happened years before that woman, that missionary, came and knocked on our door. It was in my mother automatically to see the need of somebody else. And her heart was to help when she could, whenever asked. So here's my question to you, church family. If a woman in her natural self is that giving, how much more should the children of God, who has a compassionate father, who meets every need we have, who protects us by the blood of Christ, who instills his spirit within our spirit to, uh, to let us know we belong to him, how much more should God's children, the family of God, be amongst each other? How much more? In my birth family, you know, I got to know my birth family when I was, I never knew when I was adopted. I always knew. I don't know how old I was, but I always knew. And I knew where my oldest sister was because I used to, younger sisters, you like to bug young, older sisters? I used to bug her. She's four years older than me. So I bugged her. And the one just above me was raised by my father's cousin. And I met her at 15. But I met the rest of my siblings in my later teens. And as I got to know them, the love that I had developed within me was so strong that I would look for needs. I felt blessed. I honestly did. Not better, because there wasn't anything I did that warranted getting adopted. Absolutely nothing. That was God's grace and mercies and compassion for me, for his own purpose and will, I might add, not mine. So when I got to meet my birth family, my sister's here with me. She is the fourth youngest. I met them in my late teens, and I instilled within myself, I was going to look for needs. And so as we're all starting to have our own families, and most of them were single moms, I would look for the need because I was blessed by God and I knew it. And no, I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I knew within my heart that God had placed his compassion in me. So I would start looking for avenues to be a blessing to my family without making them dependent on me, because it wasn't me I needed them to see, but the Father. So here's a point I want to leave with you. If children of God, as his children, a God that's full of compassion, if you've been not raised by a woman that looked for ways to help out, 
that looked for ways to, to build something that would last for a lifetime in children she didn't know. If you were not raised in that type of environment, do you know something? All you got to do is say to the Father, let your heart be in my heart. Let the compassion that's from you in me expand around me. Help me see the need in my church. Help me see the need in my community. And let me be the vessel that shows your compassion, your grace, and your mercy. Because children of God, is that's what's supposed to be like. If those who don't know the Lord at that time can be this giving, can be this selfless, how much more should the children of God, who, show, who really are his family, we're co-heirs co with Christ. How much more? So if you don't have that skill to see the need in our church, ask God to show it to you. Be open to say, Father, reveal yourself in your heart to me to see the need around me, and then step into that place. Because that is where love is in action. It's easy to say, I love you. My birth family, we say it all the time. I never heard it in the adopted. I knew they did. My birth family says it all the time. I love you. I love you. I love you. But let me tell you a slight secret. Love is more than a word. It's an action. And if you never tell me you love me, but your actions show me you love me, you'll never need to tell me. It's an action. So if you don't have that ability to see the need that's in our church, if you don't have that ability to see the need that's in our community, if you don't have that ability to see the need that's in our world, ask the Father to give it to you and be open to see it when he does, because he will. You know, there are examples in our church already, and I'm going to embarrass some people. So before I tell you those examples, please forgive me. The one that everybody knows is, Ron, is Norm and Donna. And I'll tell you a slight little secret. I know I'm going to embarrass her, so bear with me. When you are not used to being on the other end of somebody giving you a blessing, it's hard to take. I come from a home that my mother did it all the time, and I was the one who was blessed. So when someone in their compassion says, I'd like to bless you with this, being human is not always easy to take. But I'll guarantee you there are many people that are a part of our church now or part of our church in the past or in their environment that Norm and Donna have been the source and the vessel God has used to demonstrate his love and compassion and his mercy. That's already in Mosaic. I know there are people in Mosaic now who they have been a force for love to show the love of Christ in them. It's in our church. Another person who I know also displays it, and I will admit, I'm the first to say I don't know these people as well as I'd like to, but I've heard stories just like the people that my mother was told who did all these things. I've heard stories. Is David. Yes, David Cottrell, who provides necessities, things of need to people who he knows have need because he's allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to him and be used by him to bring God the glory of expressing his love and compassion. 
And another couple who does it that's not here right now is Ron and Donna. And I'll admit to that too. I don't know them as well as I'd like to, but I've heard rumors. I've heard stories. Stories of how they step in and see a need and say, here you are. No strings attached. This is from God because we're all his vessel. It's already in our church. So I want you to envision if these small groups who already express the love and the compassion of Christ to those who they are around and to those who they are exposed to or those who are exposed to them, what statement would we make of every one of us, even if you don't see a need but ask the Father to show it? What statement would we make to the world if we allow ourselves to walk in obedience by expressing the love, the compassion, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ, who we are called to serve and have him Lord of our life, what statement would it make? What statement? And I want to close with this. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, not to forsake the gathering of yourselves together. You know, I was raised in a situation where my mother's best friend thought, I love the Lord, he's my Lord and Savior, but I don't need to go to church. It's okay just for me to read the Bible and pray and be in my own little circle. I got news for you. No, it isn't. Because here's the reality. God's family is a source of strength and evidence of oneness as the body of Christ. Scripture is clear. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much as ye see the day of Christ returning. You know, the enemy is out there devouring to see who he can, who he can destroy. That's what he does. That's his reason for existing. But do you know what the church reason for existing is? To build one another up in love. To worship God in one voice because we are all the bride of Christ. I'm not going up there as just one bride and neither are you. We all, the body of Christ, the church is what Christ is coming back for as his bride. So you'll see in the scriptures, think about this. Coming together is where the Holy Spirit ministers through the gifts of the body, his church. Coming together is where we are empowered encouraged, and even have needs revealed and met, a great demonstration of what it's about to be the part of the body of God, God's family. We stand and pray together with one voice to withstand the enemy. Do you know how many times I've gone through situations where I run to church because that's my sanctuary of haven? I have seen my ghost myself go through some struggles where when my daughter was almost dying after giving birth, I ran to my church pastor and I said, and tears, you've got to pray with me. That's being a part of the body of Christ. We stand together with one voice to withstand the enemy. Consider it a taste of glory. What do you think you're going to do in heaven when we stand around the throne of God, singing glory, glory, hallelujah? We're doing it as his body of believers, one family. We will be standing around the Father as is written in Revelations. 
It's around the gathering in the upper room that Christ's followers receive the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. If we use Christ as our example, he taught in the gatherings, and today he still teaches in the gatherings through the Holy Spirit. Our relationship with Christ is meant to be individual, personal, and collective. Our relationship with Christ means that we all fill that body. We all become the part of Christ that is his bride. He meets us where we are, and it was designed that we move as a body with many members. The body is not complete if it's missing an arm or a toe, but family, as a body, we are one body, and as a whole, the bride of Christ. Now think about this for a minute. You've got a new couple. I would imagine it's hard for a marriage to stay healthy or even survive if the bride is too busy to spend quality time with the bridegroom. You know what, church? My husband and I have been together 42 years. Some would say that's a lifetime. But you know what? We'd have never last if I was a bride who said, I don't like spending time with you. We're the bride. The church is the bride. We can know that we are loved, we are precious in God's eyes. And I desire for God to say to me what he said to David, that I am the apple of his eye. Family, God lives in us, and his love is made perfect in Christ. I cling to the scripture that Paul writes, and this is personal for me, because I'll tell you, I've lived a life. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ himself declared, they will know you are mine by your love. It is in the family of God that this love must be evident and an action. We've been adopted into the family of God, and it is his will that everyone has the opportunity to experience this great gift God has bestowed on us through Christ. In church, the lost is watching. So would you open our eyes at to see the needs of people around us? Would you move our hearts to love them with your love? Would you strengthen our hands to serve them in practical ways? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, it's been good to be together. It's been great to worship here. It's been great to hear the word from Gloria. Thank you for that message. God bless you. Yeah. You have been listening to a sermon podcast from Mosaic Intercultural Church in London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I want to thank you for joining us. If you want to find out more about Mosaic and about the work that we do, please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com.